0: This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyze the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty.
1: Hi, I'm David and I'm the climate change editor at The Straits Times.
0: It is the 14th of September. Delegates from around the world will soon gather in Glasgow for an important climate conference called COP26. The meeting aims to achieve an ambitious global deal to step up the fight against climate change, from deeper emissions cuts to more climate cash for developing nations. A deal in Glasgow is urgent. Recent extreme weather events have shown that no nation will be exempt from human-driven climate change. But developing nations remain the most vulnerable because they have the least defences and cash to rebuild. So what are the chances that COP26 will be a success? And will poorer nations finally get the resources they need? With us today is Dr. Salim Mulhak, Director of the International Centre for Climate Change and Development, who is a leading climate scientist from Bangladesh and has many years of experience with the United Nations Climate Talks. Thanks for joining us today, Salim.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, Salih, maybe you can start by telling us a bit more about your organisation and its work with developing nations. Why is climate change a growing threat to the poorer countries, especially here in Asia?
2: So, I'm the Director of the International Centre for Climate Change and Development. We call it ICAD, based at the Independent University of Bangladesh in Dhaka, Bangladesh. And our work is primarily on research and capacity building for the most vulnerable communities in the most vulnerable countries uh, to prepare them a global uh, emergency in terms of the adverse impacts of the fact that we have raised global mean temperature over one degree centigrade already so we are seeing impacts of climate change getting worse and worse all over the world and we're
1: going to have to be better prepared for that and that's what i work on So, Salim, with the the upcoming COP26 conference in Glasgow, what are the key outcomes that you would like to see and what are your key concerns um, in the run-up to this meeting?
2: Well, the upcoming uh, 26th Conference of Parties of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change that's going to take place in Glasgow in the United Kingdom in November this year is going to be a very, very important uh, meeting uh, because it has to put in place our activities to reduce emissions of greenhouse gases to keep us below 1.5 degrees centigrade. Uh, It's going to be difficult, but it's still possible if all countries step up and do what they have to do. So that's the number one uh, uh, expectation. Every country has to put put a plan in to reduce their emissions of greenhouse gases that keeps us from uh, crossing the 1.5 degree uh, global temperature threshold. They have all agreed to do it. They're all trying to do it, but we're not on track to do it. So we want to get on track to do it. That's the number one expectation. Uh, The second expectation, particularly for vulnerable developing countries, is for the rich countries to fulfill the promise they made to provide financial assistance. They promised uh, several years ago to provide $100 billion a year uh, from 2020 onwards to support poor countries to uh, tackle climate change, both reduce their emissions from greenhouse gases, as well as uh, adapt to the adverse impact. They haven't fulfilled that. 2020 has come and gone, and they didn't cough up the $100 billion. They know that, they acknowledge that, and they're trying to do that now for 2021. We shall see. Uh, if they fail to uh, come up with the money even a, a year late, then it, it bodes ill for a successful COP in November. And then the third and final Uh, uh, expectation is to deal with the new and emerging era of loss and damage from climate change. It used to be the case that we thought climate change was something that's going to happen. This year, 2021, is the year we've crossed into it's already happening. And the recent report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has made that very, very clear. The scientists have been able to prove that we are seeing the impacts of uh, climate change already and that it's going to get worse. And now we can't prevent it by mitigation. We can't adapt to it. We have to deal with the loss and damage that is going to happen. And that's a new topic that we haven't been able to discuss
1: before. So so just on the, um, the issue of impacts, in fact, um, I mean, this is obviously making a lot of headlines around the world, particularly with floods and fires. And we've seen Particularly, the richer nations this time around uh, copying more of the uh, more severe impacts. So, do you think this will focus minds on more ambitious efforts to fight climate change at COP26, given we've seen so many weather disasters, and particularly since they're now affecting so many wealthy nations? Absolutely.
2: So, the way I would characterize the impacts of uh, climate change is that we in the poorer developing countries have been seeing it for the last decade, but that hasn't uh, really registered on global leaders. Uh, but in the last few months, in fact, I would say from July of this year onwards, we are seeing it hitting rich countries. The floods in Germany killed over 150 people. Hurricane Ida that hit the coast of Louisiana and the United States went all the way to New Jersey and the floods, flooding in New York and New Jersey killed more than 50 Americans. The wildfires in California are making climate refugees out of Californians. That registers. President Biden now accepts climate change is happening. It's real. He has to do something about it. His predecessor didn't even believe it was true. And so that is a game changer. And we hope that that will actually get people, all the leaders of the world, even those who have been reluctant in the past to come together and take this as the climate emergency that it is. It's a crisis. We have to deal with it as a crisis and not just think about incremental actions that might help it. It won't. Incremental is not going to work. We
1: need to be taking it as a crisis and as an emergency. Now, the United States, Germany, Japan, China, they all understand the issue of climate change, loss and damage, Uh, but they're wealthy nations, so I guess they can afford to recover. But this concept of loss and damage. Um, I mean, those of us who've uh, dealt with climate change for a while, of course, have heard this in discussions. Um, But I think for a lot of people outside, they haven't. So perhaps you could explain a little bit more about this concept of loss and damage, uh, and particularly why it's so important for the most vulnerable nations.
2: So let me explain the evolution of the climate change problem and the solution to that problem. Uh, The initial period 30 years ago, the problem was emissions of greenhouse gases Uh, like uh, carbon dioxide and methane coming from burning fossil fuels like coal, petroleum and natural gas. And the solution, therefore, was to do less of that or to try and stop it if possible. All countries came together under the UN Framework Convention. They agreed to do it. They haven't been doing it fast enough, but they have been doing uh, some of it. The second problem arose in the turn of this century, about 20 years ago, when the third uh, assessment report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change came out and said, we are not doing it enough. We're not going to be able to prevent some level of impacts of climate change, and they will be inevitable and unavoidable, and therefore we're going to have to be ready for them. And that ushered in the second era of what I call the era of adaptation to climate change, preparing ourselves. And that had an associated uh, problem, which was that not everybody's going to have to adapt immediately, the poorest people on the planet are the ones that are going to be affected first and the ones that need to be helped to adapt uh, immediately and that so it made it brought in a whole new cohort of people working on poverty alleviation development and brought developing countries into the picture in a much bigger way than they were before and then now we are now entering what i call the third era of loss and damage from climate change because we have failed to do enough mitigation. We still have to do it, uh, but we haven't done enough. We failed to do enough adaptation. We still have to do that, but we haven't done enough. And now we are seeing the actual adverse impacts of climate change. So once people start dying, there's not much you can do about it. They're dead. They're gone. Once uh, infrastructure crumbles, there's not much you can do about it. It's gone. And so loss and damage is a new concept or relatively new concept that is emerging to describe the actual impacts of climate change that are beginning to happen and will will get worse over time. Um, just to explain very quickly the terminology of loss and damage, loss refers to things that are completely lost, like a human life, a human life lost is never going to come back, no matter how much money uh, one uh, has. Uh, Damage, on the other hand, is something that can be repaired or restored. So infrastructure, a a house broken down or a road uh, that is damaged, can be repaired if you have the money to repair it. So damage can be repaired with money. Loss cannot be brought back even uh, if you have a lot of money. And so we are seeing both losses, Human lives are a very good example. Ecosystems and habitat are others. Uh, and we are also seeing damage, both economic damage as well as non-economic damage. People's livelihoods are being lost. People's you know, mental states are being affected. There's a whole variety of impacts that are uh, becoming apparent now that we now have to take into account and address them.
0: Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. So Salim, we have talked about loss and damage. And uh, at the start of the podcast, you did mention three areas that you're looking out for at the COP26 talks. The second one is about climate finance. So we know climate change is affecting all nations, um, especially the vulnerable ones. Tell us why, you know, climate finance is so important to helping this group of countries adapt to climate impacts like rising sea levels and becoming more resilient to a hotter and more extreme world.
2: Well, the importance of climate finance is that the developed countries, the rich countries who actually caused the problem, they were the big polluting countries since the Industrial Revolution, they accept that, they know that. Uh, They have actually promised to provide assistance, financial assistance, to the poorer countries who are suffering the impacts and whose emissions of greenhouse gases are very minuscule compared to the rich countries. And they did this back in 2015 at the 21st Conference of Parties in Paris, the rich countries had agreed to provide 100 billion dollars a year uh, to the developing world to support them to tackle climate change, both reducing emissions of greenhouse gases through mitigation as well as uh, for the poorer countries adapting to the adverse impacts. Um, 2020 has come and gone, but the 100 billion was not delivered. They claim they delivered about 80 billion. We're not quite sure exactly how much, but certainly they did not provide 100 billion and they are now due for another 100 billion for 2021, which they they say they are going to do. So we are hopeful that in COP26, they will be able to deliver the second 100 billion that they had promised. The problem from the vulnerable developing countries' uh, perspective is that we had asked for half of that money to be provided to the most vulnerable countries to help them adapt to the impacts of climate change. And the other half could go for uh, support to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. However, the money that has been delivered, 80% of that has gone for mitigation, and only 20% of that has gone to the vulnerable countries to help them adapt. And that is wrong. That is absolutely not acceptable. So we are hopeful that in the coming phase, the $100 a year will actually be delivered, and that half of it will go to support the poorest, most vulnerable countries, most of them in Asia, by the way, who will be affected by climate change to
1: help them adapt to the impacts of climate change. I have one quick follow-up question on the 100 billion because it was actually as you know first discussed or even agreed even a decade ago wasn't it a 2009 or and of course 100 billion then was quite a lot of money it's a lot, it's a lot less now. What's the what's the number one reason why the rich nations have not come up with the money is it just simply through a lack of trust that they don't believe the money will be handled properly or is it just sheer reluctance to give money to poorer nations?
2: It's very difficult to say why countries have failed to do this. I think it's a, a systemic issue. Firstly, they made the promise, in in fact, in 2009, that's a long time ago, uh, and then they reiterated it in Paris in 2015, and they had five years to deliver it. Now, they failed to deliver it. They, they have a number of excuses, one of them being covid-19 which came unexpectedly uh, but the biggest uh, reason in my view is they just didn't take it seriously they made a promise they did not themselves work out you know how who's going to contribute how much to the 100 billion every country decided my share is X and i'm going to do this and then other countries will make take it up to 100 billion and that didn't happen so everybody gave a little and then it added up to actually 79 billion from their own uh, counting and they've actually double counted a lot of stuff. So the one number one reason in my view is that they just did not take their own pledge seriously. They made a pledge, they made a promise, and they didn't take it seriously, which uh, throws everything they say into doubt. Uh, what's the point of talking to them if they say things that they don't then do? So we shall see. The COP 26 is going to be the make or break in terms of trusting countries that make promises.
0: So Salim, you mentioned COVID-19 and we know that this conference, COP26, has already been postponed by a year because of the pandemic. But even this year's conference seems to be plagued by doubts. Uh, Do you have any concerns about whether developing countries will be properly represented at COP this year? I mean, given criticisms about unequal global vaccine distribution and the UK's planned quarantine restrictions from some delegates from the developing world.
2: Yes, this is a very great concern, particularly for the most vulnerable developing countries, the least developed countries. Um, many of them are on the UK's red list, uh, which requires them to if the delegates get to the UK to spend 10 days in a hotel at their own expense quarantined uh, before they can even go uh, participate in the COP. And that's going to be very, very difficult for many of them to do. And therefore, uh, genuine participation is in doubt. Now, they have appealed to the United Kingdom government. The United Kingdom government has said that they will help get both getting them vaccinated before they travel and even helping them with the cost of the hotel quarantine, which they've reduced to five days instead of 10 days. I'm hopeful that those um, offers of support from the United Kingdom will be enough to get most if not all the developing countries, particularly the poorest, most vulnerable developing countries, uh, to be able to send their delegates to participate. It's extremely important that they're there in person. This cannot be done virtually. They have to be in Glasgow to be able to participate effectively and uh, hopefully have an outcome. So it will be an unusual uh, COP, not as big a COP as we would normally have. Uh, But nevertheless, as long as every country is represented well by their delegates who are in Glasgow, then I'm hopeful that we'll be able to have a result.
0: So to sum up, how do you rate the chances of a successful Glasgow meet this year?
2: I remain very hopeful. I am one of the few people in the world who's been to all 25 uh, COPs previously. This is going to be my 26th COP. Uh, And I I always remain hopeful that we'll be able to come up with uh, uh, the outcomes that we need. Whether we do that or not obviously remains to be seen, but I'm going to Glasgow myself in a very hopeful frame of mind that all countries will now come together and rise to the occasion.
0: So thank you, Salim, for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking your time out.
2: Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Salim.
0: Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, Do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg.